Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. consent you gotta yeah, that was us, weird you yeah. gotta give us consent that's a new zoom that's an update that is we i think this is going to be the the thing that was it's on like the intro of every single podcast now is all of us talking shit about how weird the new zoom consent <laughs> thing is we also don't edit these at all like, so at all. this is just what it's what you see is what you get with us <laughs> uh so everybody thank you for joining us today today our guest is evan pycon um, Evan, thank you very much for joining us. And if you would like to take a moment to introduce yourself to the whole f- multitude of two listeners that are both Kyle and my parents, um, we, I think everybody would really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, so Kyle and Matt's parents, again, my name is Evan Pycon, like he just said, <laughs> and I'm a guy in a basement in Providence. <laughs> um, in all seriousness. So yeah, so I'm an SNC coach. I also am a medical physiologist, which probably isn't that relevant to anything we're going to talk about it um, sounds super cool though I, it's not nearly as cool as it sounds <laughs> um but yeah i mean to kind of give this similar intro to the way that i usually explain what i do i work with athletes sports teams military organizations and it's usually more on the sports science consulting side um personally i was a ex track and field athlete so it's usually tackling things more on the bioenergetic side and Outside of that, I'm really just splitting my time between doing that and kind of getting into biotech research and some things that we could hopefully maybe bridge back into the SNC world down the line. That's it's that's very interesting because like you're I I don't consider myself a smart man. And then I read your Instagram posts, and then I consider myself to be like 20 times less smarter than my than what I thought. So like my my question for you would be like, what was your path? to kind of get to where you are now and what was what got you so interested in what you're doing to really just put forth and put like put in this much effort to get this like exceptionally far ahead of like a lot of other people in the field with the stuff that you're currently doing yeah so the irony and kind of the funny thing is i got into the fitness industry professionally to avoid having to go to grad school so that didn't age well prior <laughs> Now, so, <laughs> so really, I, I was going to school for biochem and molecular bio, and after graduating, I was planning on going into clinical microbiology research, and if you know anything about that line of work, you're basically in really bad smelling labs all day, swabbing Petri dishes. Awesome. So as a way to escape that impending future. I started coaching people one-on-one, getting really into remote coaching. I did that for probably a year or two before deciding to jettison the grad school and research and actually ended up moving down to Atlanta and working for a company called Training Think Tank. And I've been coaching for them for five or six years now, primarily working with CrossFit athletes and what we would consider kind of like hybrid athletes, people that have goals that don't really fit in any concrete boxes like wanting to run an ultra marathon and do a powerlifting competition or Olympic weightlifting and marathon running, things of that nature. But over the years, I started kind of getting like that bug to want to start dabbling more in some of the uh, harder sciences again and kind of bringing that back into what I was doing as a coach. So a lot of that started with using things like Moxie Monitor and near infrared spectroscopy and looking at 
uh, muscle oxygen saturation and trying to understand cardiovascular control mechanisms. And a lot of that was really just driven by wanting to understand the sport of CrossFit. It's kind of like a physiologic puzzle to figure out how do you get someone that could snatch 300 pounds and run a sub five minute mile in from my perspective, the tools that we have just weren't really sufficient to do that. So it was taking some of these technologies that are traditionally from the medical industry and bringing them back into sports to try and get a little bit more comprehensive with the physiologic analysis. And just over the years of doing that, you think you know what you're talking about, and then you'll run a test and you'll see something that just doesn't really jive with your understanding. So you're constantly digging through the research and having to update your understanding and get deeper and deeper into those topics. So now that I am posting more frequently, if like you read some of those posts and you're like, what the hell is he talking about? If you had shown me that three, even two, three years ago, I would be in the exact same camp as you. It's really more of just like a gradual stepwise increase. And I think it's easy to get the illusion that I'm doing these things that other people can't accomplish because you just didn't see the learning curve because none of that was publicized over the past six years. But I assure you, if you spent the next few years doing that and investigating that tech and collecting data, I'm 100% positive you could come to a lot of those same conclusions and learn how to do that efficiently. The, the thing that I always, I always find fascinating is like the, the, the stuff that you post and the things that you're starting to do with like Moxie monitors and things and, and like those, those tools, it's really fascinating to see the measurable data that you can actually get mm -hmm. out of those and how you can directly start applying that to better mm -hmm. programming to just better optimize like human bioenergetics and just better optimize mm -hmm. program design in general for, like you said, those people who don't have like concurrent who have like very very opposing goals like powerlifting and mar and like ultra marathons mm -hmm. and i think that's a super super cool thing and it's like it's very very new so obviously there's not many people that that do stuff like this but i think it's a really really interesting way that the field is going to start to move towards and like that's just got to be a cool thing for you to be kind of like in and almost kind of like looking like from from outside observation like you're kind of leading in the fitness field yeah, and what's interesting to me and really why I'm so fascinated by these things is it's really driven by what we could observe as coaches. Like if you asked me 10 years ago, is anyone going to snatch 315 pounds and go run a 440 mile? I'd be like, hell no. Like I ran track in high school and was running at the college level for a little bit. And you're like, I've seen people that run 445 miles. They can't deadlift 225 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so to think that someone's going to go do that and snatch 315, like there's 0% chance. And even getting interested in CrossFit in the early days, seven or eight years ago, like the level of games competitor, it's nothing even remotely resembling what we see people doing now. So really the years, particularly working with training think tank, where we had games athletes coming on site all the time, you'd consistently get humbled by people doing things that you don't think should be possible based on everything that we've heard about concurrent training. Like yeah. you, if you're uh, try to be a, uh, jack of all trades you'll be a master of none and all these things like you can't sit on two horses with one ass like all these different things that you hear people say yet you see people doing it and of course i don't think anyone's gonna be a world record holder in olympic lifting or power lifting and be the best mile runner in the world like just the degree of specificity required to do both of those things at that level you're just never going to be able to accumulate volume in both of those different facets but i think we've really um trying to think of the way to explain this like the things that people could do concurrently 
have really been um, overshadowed. Like we thought the things that CrossFit Games competitors do now were not possible years ago. So perhaps the boundary is much higher than what we think it is. Maybe you can have someone who's a 420 miler and could deadlift six or 700 pounds. Like I really don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. And using some of these more traditional measurement technologies like VO2 max testing or blood lactate testing, or even things like force plates and SEMG, they don't really explain why people could do those things that we observe. But now that we could use things like near infrared spectroscopy, the MOXIE monitor being a good example of that, you could start to collect usable data and you could start to figure out, well, how are people actually doing those things? And if we could understand their physiology, then we could back engineer that. But if we don't know what the physiologic qualities of a Noah Olson or a Travis May or any of these guys are, you have very little chance of getting someone to that level unless they happen to be the elite of the elite genetically, which those guys are. And that's where I think coaching um, could really get to like a much more advanced level than it is right now, because I was an 800 meter runner back in the day. I told Kyle about this, the types of training that we were doing, we didn't have any data to know like what worked or why it was working. It's just, this is what you do. This is what people have always done. But now collecting some of this physiologic data and using even some basic data science methodologies, you could start to parse things out like, well, I see that there's a inverse linear relationship between your maximal rate of oxygen utilization and your max power output. Those things are probably related to one another. So if we want to improve your maximum power output, we have at least a rough idea of what types of training protocols are going to work because we could also use some of these data science methodologies to figure out the training that actually increases your maximal rate of oxygen extraction. So if you could get that specific in you could test someone, you know what the limitation is, you know the type of training that drives that. Now you don't need to spend as much time doing each of these individual things. And I think that's where we could see people really pushing these boundaries with concurrent training. It's when you could get everything so hyper-specific that they don't need to spend too much time on each of those qualities. Because at the end of the day, I think what most of us probably realized in this concurrent training space is a lot of the stuff that we give people are junk volume and you don't think they're junk volume until you realize that they don't actually drive any of the adaptations that you want people to get and they might actually confer the wrong adaptations relative to what you want to where you could really just be shooting yourself in the foot and not knowing it yeah yeah it's i think that's one of the concepts that we run into a lot with the people that we work with because a lot of them are in matt's case like fairly high level power lefters or people who are at least competing and trying to get to a higher level. And then I also work with a bunch of field sport athletes and, and endurance athletes as well. And, and we start looking at like their old training programs and we're just like, Whoa, like that's, mm -hmm. that, that's like double to triple the amount of training that we would have mm -hmm. programmed that person probably in a lot mm -hmm. of cases, even in cases where they should be like tapering for like yeah. a competition mm -hmm. in some cases. And we're just like, there's no way that benefited you from a performance mm -hmm. perspective. Um, the other thing that you said that really popped in, into my head is, you know, I, I always, I think about like the, the book uh, Endure by Alex Hutchins is one of my favorite, mm -hmm. favorite books of recent time. And, and I think about, you know, like what you're talking as far as like the, the older CrossFit competitors and, and not even imagining some of the things that we see now mm -hmm. out of these just absolute mutants of, of human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, yeah, it's like the four minute mile. It's like, you know, the first time somebody broke it, it's like, it was literally like rebroken several times in the last 
in the next six months, right? Because as soon as it became something that was uh, reasonable within the realm of possibilities, mm-hmm. it's like all of a sudden now people are like, oh, that's achievable, right? And I think, mm-hmm. I think from a psychological perspective, that always intrigues me as well. Um, and then the other thing, especially with the moxie, like I've always wondered this, and I've never gotten a chance to ask anybody, but what role do you think like the central governor theory even has to do in, in some of this, especially like capacity-based work. And is like Moxie kind of a way or, or like just kind of looking at that data a way to even maybe give confidence or give athletes confidence that they can push harder than they're probably pushing in a lot of cases potentially without harm. Yeah. So I'm very much of two minds about that because on one hand, I'm like, particularly if we talk about CrossFit, I don't think anyone's really pushing to their true limits, like having some involvement with like collegiate cross country, even people black out in front of the finish line all the time. Like it's not that weird to see a guy just like running and then 10, 15 feet in front of the finish line, they just go like lights out and they're just laying there and you're like, are they, did they trip? Are they going to get up? And nope, they don't get up. That's someone who's truly pushed to such an exertion level that they have so much hypoxemia that their brain's not getting enough oxygen to keep them conscious that is pushing to a true limit. I've never seen that happen in CrossFit, which in and of itself means everyone is leaving something on the table. Whether or not they could actually access that reserve is a completely different question. And what's interesting to me is if we assume that everyone is leaving something on the table, if there's not a catastrophe happening, you would think that we couldn't accurately model performance, but that's actually not true. So where the Moxie monitor is something that gets really interesting um, I've been part of a project for the past few months. It's a multi-site data collection. We're studying cardiovascular control mechanisms. But one of the big takeaways for this is that if I get enough Moxie data on you, I could have you hop on the rower and you could start pulling whatever pace you want. And I could tell you and how long you're going to fail at that pace. And then if you slow down, I could say, hey, we've updated your time before you're going to fail in. 16 minutes and 20 seconds. Now you're going to fail in 19 minutes and 40 seconds. Then you speed up more. And I'm like, okay, you've got 11 and a half minutes before you're going to fail. And we could model these things accurately enough that if I get that like pre-data on you, I could figure out the fastest time you could cover 2000 meters on a best day. If you say I'm going to row for 43 minutes, I could say, okay, well, this is the most meters you should be able to cover. And I could actually pace you in live time to do that. But there are times when that really breaks down. And one of those instances is if someone is like in a post-surgical phase, even if they're a year or two years after surgery, they have complete strength, they have no issues whatsoever. There are still sometimes disruptions in the normal fiber structure of the tissue. And it just completely fucks up all of those data calculations. Like everything becomes so sporadic and it's because they're recruiting those tissues to varying extents on each time But even in people who aren't injured, you start to see these weird anomalies where you're like, I thought we had enough data and we predicted things accurately a week ago. And now none of our predictions are even remotely accurate for you anymore. And those are cases where I think something is governing those people. What that thing is, anyone has just as good of a guess as I am. But this is where like Endure was such an interesting book to me, because particularly they had that through line of the Breaking Two project Mm -hmm. um, going on. And one of my colleagues on this research project is actually one of the head scientists from Breaking 2. Oh, so we have cool. a lot of this data and this is where things are so confusing because like Moxie was a big part of the Breaking 2 project. 
And in order for them to get the calculations to an extent that they're really reliable and accurate, it's like hundreds of data points that they could create a linear regression so you could count for all these anomalous days and it still keeps things fluid. But in a normal circumstance, you can't really do that. And just this variability that we don't really know where it's coming from, just like screws things up so much. So I kind of finished Alex Hutchinson's book and I'm like, you know what? The only way I think we could really practically model performance is just by having a bulk flow of data where you're being governed more, you're being governed less. Mm -hmm. But what that governor is, I have literally no idea whatsoever. Like some of the shit, I know you know James um, Serby. I, my apologies if I pronounced his name wrong. No, you, you got like, it. Like Amon's lab that he did some of his graduate work in, they've done some crazy shit that like kind of impacts your notions of how that central governor works like injecting low doses of fentanyl in people's spines and having them physically ride until they like can't contract their quads anymore but not feeling pain like it's just all these different things amalgamating no. i feel like i just went on like a weird jimmy neutron brain blast tangent i don't even remember <laughs> what the question was <laughs> well, you managed to to hit all the high points i think i mean that that's i uh, think you also managed to melt everybody's brain when you're talking about accurately predicting performance for people that have not had any sort of issues like that's a really really cool thing that you can do with just collecting those data points for building out like solid programs for all of your people and managing really really good expectations with them too and the funny thing is like, you'd think it's a super complicated mathematics. It's actually like ninth or 10th grade high school level calculations required to do these things. Like, so it is relatively complicated for most of the people out there. Cause we only count by 45s and 35s here. Yeah, that's, that's all yeah, we I, I mean, to be completely honest, I had to reteach myself high school math like a year ago. So more complicated than what I would use in an everyday basis, but still within reach. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I look at the the training that we see in the majority of the time. And even, even though like you're, you're pretty well known, I think, and especially like a lot of the circles that, that Matt and I are in as far as like just coaches and, and kind of networking and things of that nature. And we just, there's so much stuff that we see on a daily basis that just doesn't make sense, yeah. you know, based on kind of some of the other the research that we've seen or some of the stuff that we, we see like you kind of working on or somebody or somebody else in kind of that, that data field. And, and yet there's still like, you know, kind of like we talked about before, like they're still getting results. They're still getting to an end point, but I always have to think like, are there, their positive results just kind of almost like logical fallacies in the fact that it's like, yeah, you're improving at, you know, this line on a linear graph but could you be improving at like a much higher rate and if so like is there a way to even measure that and and, and predict that but what you're saying is like potentially like there might be yeah well the issue is like we we don't know what your eventual max will be and one of the things i've thought about for a while and i have no data on this whatsoever keep in mind is like I don't know if having really sophisticated training makes you any better than you could have been doing ridiculous shit, or if it just gets you there faster. Like the way that I've always seen it, I think if you were to follow like a reasonable training program, maybe arbitrary number in 15 years, you hit your genetic ceiling and you're never going to get better. 
maybe having an incredibly sophisticated training process early on, maybe you could have gotten to that level in six years or eight Mm -hmm. years, but the ceiling's still the same. And I think that's what you see in natural bodybuilding. You see people that follow these very evidence-based guidelines from day one in training and they gain muscle really quick up until like an advanced stage, maybe they hit an FFMI of 24. And if they go over 25, of course, they're not natural anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a joke for anyone listening, but they reach their true potential. <laughs> not, not enough and then, people are going to get that, but that's no. okay. <laughs> no, and you, they reach their true potential. And then the next 10 years of training, you're like, maybe they gained three pounds of muscle. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not really sure versus people who kind of like follow pseudo bro science type mm-hmm. approaches. And maybe in 10 or 15 years, they hit their true peak. It just took them longer to get there, but you're going to get capped eventually. And that's mm-hmm. something that, I've thought about for a long time. And of course, if you're trying to compete in something, it's better to get there quicker. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of examples of people who did insane stuff and reached incredible levels of development. I think of, um, have you ever heard of Emil Zatopek? He was, uh, mm-hmm. he was a Czech runner, probably like the 1940s or 50s. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I, okay. So to give you a reference of this dude's like level of prestige in the same Olympics, he won the gold medal. I think it was like the 5K, 10K in the marathon on like consecutive days and had never even run a marathon before and historically like he's kept detailed logs of all his training these things are well known he would just do like 30 to 50 400 meter repeats every single day and his logic was i'm gonna run all of them at a max effort and i know that by the end of them i'm running them at like a 10 minute mile pace for my 400 repeats but all that matters is that they still feel hard and you're like well that doesn't really makes sense but eventually he ended up being the best i mean still people consider him the greatest middle distance to long distance runner of all time versus you look at someone like Eliud kipchoge of course he's faster in the marathon than emil zatapak was but a lot of that's also due to better shoe and track surface technology um just better hydration better fueling so i'm like i don't really know if the best marathoners to there that much better than Alberto Salazar was in the 70s or 80s and all of these guys you're like they probably just reached their peak earlier and then just coast for the rest of their careers yeah so you you don't think uh he had that full Nike scholar like sponsorship in the the pre-World War II uh era just it's rocking it so it's quite possible that with Nike's budget that they have these days that they actually created a time machine and went back just, to then and, and sponsored, sponsored him, yeah. <laughs> but then again he wasn't a communist country and i don't know if they would have allowed for sponsorship so it's also, it's really hard to say it would have awesome. been sponsoring the communist country and they'd be like thank you for all of the money nike we appreciate yes. it he's gonna go live in a concrete box somewhere <laughs> we we, we might have just sunk nike man if somebody yeah. if, if more than our parents get like actually listen to this it, it might actually unravel the time thread going right there well, i mean my parents don't have any affiliation with them as long as yours don't i think we're gonna be fine okay we're good we're good then we can work with that Nike, send us some money though. We, we can blackmail Nike. We can roll with we that. We could. <laughs> we know what you guys are up to. We're going to get some money out of this. <laughs> Supporting communism since 1945. <laughs> so, uh, what, so based on kind of what you've been doing, and you just you kind of alluded to a project you're currently working on, a research project you're currently working on. What's your like day to day look like as far as you know working with your athletes and then working on the research and, and all that? Because I, 
that's always an interesting question that we like to ask people. It's like, what do you do? You know, I, I think everybody kind of sees like the, the Instagram, <laughs> like the, the posting and some of that stuff, but it's like, what's behind the curtains? Like, what's that actually look like? Yeah. So, I mean, if we were to say like an ideal day versus uh, probably 50% of my days, like it's usually ordering these things in whatever way they go. But yep. typically like I start my work day, I typically spend mornings coaching I, I actually don't do anything in person. So it's really just writing programs. Ne- neither, neither do we. We're all good there. No judgment. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I'm like, it was the same thing before COVID. I, I went into the gym once every six weeks to see people in person. But I write programs in the morning. So most people probably know of my work at Training Think Tank. Mm-hmm. And at this point, that is definitely a big part of what I do. But it's a small part of how I spend my day. The rest mm-hmm. of the day is either being involved in research projects whether that's collecting data or analyzing data. Um, and I also work for biotech companies as well. So a lot of that is on the research and development side. So one of the things that's probably occupied the most of my day-to-day work time for the past year is I work for a company that we're developing a technology to measure uh, microvascular nitric oxide levels. And that's for more of like a medical application for um, like Alzheimer's prevention or cardiovascular disease. Um, so that's probably like the big thing. But it, in practice, that's really just me hanging out in my basement, reading research papers and doing data analysis. It's not like some cool clandestine lab anywhere. <laughs> it's not the, the, the black box, like the clandestine like black box we all hear about. You have to sign an yeah. NDA every single time you go into work. <laughs> Yeah. I, I have had to sign a few of those, but yes. not to hang out in my basement. <laughs> As someone who also hangs out in their basement, I feel like we, we, we've got something going now. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in Texas. We don't have basements here because we flood all the time. So yeah. I, I'm hanging out on my second floor, So I'm, but I'm with you guys in spirit. So are you saying you're looking down on us and you're above us? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. I'm just saying that ge- because like how low Houston is in, in terms of like geography, like I'm almost below sea level on my second floor. So definitely not physically looking down on anybody either. No. He's so actually saying, so us. Yeah. <laughs> so what he's saying is that we're not on a flat earth and we actually get higher and higher as we go more north in latitude. I don't know if I'm saying that or not. <laughs> that's, that's what he's saying. What are you saying, Matt? I, I'm, I'm just saying that my I live in a I live in a bowl, and Houston is very very low and almost like the the highest point. We have a we have a place in Houston called the Heights, and they advertise it for flood prevention all the time. And they're like, yeah, it's like 15 feet above sea level. It's like, oh god, it's not mean. much at all. <laughs> That's barely Florida level. Yeah. That's, not, that's not good at all. That's not where I want to be. I say you're better off just sticking a ladder on your roof and yeah. hanging out on there. <laughs> so that, I mean, that, that your, your day is, is mostly then it's based in, in research and reading research papers and things like that. And then you do do some remote coaching and, think, uh, and, and stuff like that too. Where do you find time to do like your own training and things like that? What does your own training kind of look like? Yeah, so I, I usually, I get up pretty early, so I'm usually up at 4.30 or 5, and I'll train first thing in the morning. I've always been one of those people that, like, I prefer to train the second I wake up. So we're lucky. We um, have a uh, gym in the other side of our basement, so I'll usually train down here. 
it's usually more of like hypertrophy focused training. I also climb quite a bit. So mm -hmm. when I have the time, I'll go, it's like a bouldering field and go climb out there. Um, maybe do some like lead climbing five times. So it's basically things that I could do without needing to like psych myself up and get super hyped up. I'm kind of past the day where I'm trying to compete or anything or like getting scared going to the gym because I'm going to do something pretty gnarly. I, I resonate with the early stuff because I'm, I'm the same way as I'm, I, I have a day where my work days usually start at 10 o'clock and I still work out at 5am and I just can't stop myself. And yeah. if I try to work out past 10 o'clock, like if I ever have a day where it's like, I just didn't work out for me or whatever, they are the worst training sessions that I can mm -hmm. ever, like I'm yeah. absolutely worthless if I try to go into the gym anytime yeah. after 10 a.m. Yeah, I'm usually the same way. I have a, I usually have a couple morning clients and things to do in the morning. And I actually texted Kyle on Monday because I was at lift at like 4 p.m., 4.30 p.m. I was just, I just texted. I was like, how do people do this? This is terrible. <laughs> I don't get this at all. Yeah, I've never understood that. Like I've tried training in like the evening or late afternoon. I just feel like shit. Like I'm one of those people that I wake up and I'm like, okay, this is the peak of my energy for yeah. the day. And it's just going downhill from here. <laughs> that's, where I, that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's my life as well. So random, random question, but from like climbing something that's always intrigued me, but I'm, I'm also not built for it at all. And Matt's even less so built for it probably. Like what, what would, what would our limitations be as like heavy people uh, from a climbing perspective? Is there, is there like testing we could actually do for that? Or would it just be a sheer, just like strength to weight ratio that we'd be, we'd be dying from? Yeah. So, I mean, with the style of climbing that I do is primarily bouldering, which you could think of it like if, uh, when people are like, oh, you climb like these crazy mountains, like that's more like marathon running. Bouldering mm -hmm. is more of the equivalent of like Olympic weightlifting. Like okay. it usually lasts like 30 seconds at the most. It's a lot more like overhanging walls and things that require a little bit more like strength or gymnastic mm -hmm. maneuvers. The biggest limiter for you would just be finger flexor strength. In almost all contexts, the strength of your finger flexors and your finger flexor endurance is the biggest limiter hands down. And to give you a reference, like the best boulder climbers in the world. Some of these guys could do uh, pull up one arm pull ups on one finger with like a 53 pound kettlebell just to Damn. give you a perspective. <laughs> if you look at, so, dude, what? What? You look at, <laughs> if, if you ever get time, Google Adam Andre's fingers, his fingers look like sausages on his hand. You would be blown away by how much people's fingers could hypertrophy. It's like actually insane. Oh man, I, I, thought, I that doesn't make any sense. That just me. that just blew my mind. That, I was like, eh, like doing pull-ups, like two hands, full hands with with fifty three pounds isn't so, the worst thing in the world. But what became crap. so interesting to me, like when I was doing more CrossFit, and you'd like read about these things, go like, oh, one arm pull-up requires like insane amounts of strength, and then like movement culture, people talk about like, oh, the one arm chin-up is like the holy grail. In climbing, like elite level climbers could do one arm bar muscle ups, like for reps. Right. And you're like, well, 
I thought a one-arm pull-up is the hardest thing, and that guy's doing a one-arm bar muscle-up. That guy's using one finger. <laughs> it's amazing how context just really blows. It changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just makes you feel bad about yourself yeah. in a lot of different respects. That's... Yeah, and looking at like all of the people who do like CrossFit and all these other things, training for years to do a one-arm pull-up, and then this guy's just doing one finger, like one reps finger with 53-pound kettlebell. Well, dude, it makes you feel even worse is when you like – consider yourself really good at one specific thing and it's all you do for training then a crossfit games athlete goes and does it is like a part d for their workout yeah. <laughs> yeah and you're just like oh my god i thought i was amazing at rowing and this guy just rode my 2k is the eighth thing he did today yeah that's that's one of my favorite developments that's kind of happened with crossfit over the last like three or four years is they've started getting more specific in some of the events like doing one rep max squat bench and deadlifts and doing all of these like hyper specific endurance things and all these other stuff that they're doing and now nobody's talking shit about crossfit anymore because they're like oh they're just better at everybody than every at, at everything yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting. When I first got involved, CrossFit was kind of like the thing that like everyone made fun of. Like, It was oh, the punching CrossFit. bag of the industry for sure. Yeah, and now the funny thing is, is I'm like, yeah, I've worked with a lot of competitive CrossFitters. The average competitive CrossFitter is stronger than most people that like power lift recreationally. Yeah. They're yeah. better at like running than most people that run recreationally. And you're like, well. No one really talks shit on it anymore. Yeah, I mean, nobody says plenty anything of, anymore. Yeah. And, there's and plenty there's of things like, you can make fun of about it, but that's definitely not one of them. Yeah, yeah. and, and they're, they're just, in better shape than everything. Well, and they're just better they're than everybody jacked. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, like, like man, maybe I should stop because this person is stronger, faster. They have better endurance. They're more powerful. They jump higher, and they're way more jacked than I am. I'm gonna stop saying things about them now. <laughs> Just going to go back to my barbell. Just going to leave him alone. <laughs> so I think that brings us to our, our only scripted question that we have. Um, and the only, you, you've, I, you've, I didn't warn him. About, I didn't warn him about it though. Oh, I mean, this is, this is what we usually do. We don't warn anybody about it. Uh, we just kind of spring it on you all at once. Our only scripted question is what do you see in the fitness field or in strength and conditioning that you just like absolutely hate and just like really pisses you off, like to no end. What's the one thing uh -huh. that grinds Evan Pycon's gears? Or in research too. Or in for, research, for you, from yes, for you too. Okay, so got a lot, but um, you can list them all. Pick, this yeah, is, okay. this is got, why we usually ask it about halfway through the podcast. We got some time. We, we got, got time. time. <laughs> okay, so my number one in coaching. So for example, like in the hypertrophy world, people speak with a lot of nuance. Now you have experts and they'll kind of like poo poo on people that think like, Oh, one to five reps is absolute strength. Eight to 12 is hypertrophy, like 15 to 20 is muscular endurance. Like we all kind of get that that mm -hmm. is kind of bullshit. And people could speak about these things with very nuanced context, but so many of these experts in the evidence-based fitness realm, specifically these hypertrophy experts speak about bioenergetics in just a a ridiculous way is they make fun of people speaking of strength training. So it's so often that I'll hear these people and you could probably infer names that are like the big, big, big figures in the evidence-based fitness realm. And someone will ask them about endurance training on a podcast and they'll go, well, zero to 10 seconds is a lactic anaerobic power training. <laughs> and then of course, one minute to two minutes is anaerobic, a lactic endurance training. And then that, 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 so forth in the, I don't know why that just makes me so 
upset because I'm like, oh my God, like that is so wrong. But they're considered the experts in the field and people don't acknowledge the fact that being an expert and having a lot of domain specificity mm. doesn't mean that you have an intelligent opinion in other domains. Like if mm. you ask me about like economic or political theory, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know what would classify as political theory. So I'm not going to give you my opinions yeah. in the same way that like, if you ask me about like stretching or how to peak power lifters, I have no idea. Like I could literally roll dice and get just as good of an answer. So that's probably my number one thing. Just the utter lack of nuance when people speak of bioenergetics. Hmm. Yeah, that, that classical model, I, and I've heard you refer to this on, on other podcasts as well. And I think, he, I mean, in, in complete honesty, listening to you and kind of reading your material is probably my introduction into seeing more of like the blended model that Absolutely. You know, we kind of yeah, see get here. exposure to now. And it was like, it was a huge eye opener, like yeah. for me personally, where I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It makes so much sense that I, it's crazy. I didn't think of it. Uh, right it's almost like one of those things where you you look at the classical model and you're like oh, okay this makes sense and then you read something like you post like well duh that makes more sense and that's probably how it works well, the thing that's so incredible to me too is like i didn't discover any of these things like i haven't gone and found like the golden tablets and i'm sharing this information like if you talk to any medical physiologist they'll tell you that exact same thing because like, if we didn't know that we would be killing people left and right. Like, of course that's how bioenergetics work. And that's why all of the technologies that we've developed work. It's because we have the correct basic assumptions, but I think in strength and conditioning or endurance sports, you don't need the correct assumptions because the repercussions are so low that if you have it incorrect, like we said, people are still going to reach a really great level of development, even if you don't necessarily know why they're reaching that level of development but we could easily, like, a lot of times when I first started talking about some of these bioenergetic concepts years back, people would argue with me all the time. Like, half of my Instagram comments were just arguing with people, and, like, I kind of took the bait on a lot of it. And they're like, well, how do you explain this when I read Joel Jameson's Ultimate MMA Conditioning, and he said X, Y, and Z? And it just, like, blew my mind, because I'm like, just google some of these things like it's publicly available so that's something that's always just grinded my gears i got a little bit less angry now but you could probably tell that you got i feel like this is angry for you yes and you're, sure. you're still smiling really big which is it I went from being also- a big <laughs> smile to a slightly smaller <laughs> grin yeah. so like well, there's some anger there <laughs> This is this is this is as mad as Evan gets. Matt Matt just turns literally. He laughs too, but he turns like red as a potato. When he gets My like eyes just get way bigger. Yeah, like- <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. I mean, that is. I've never actually thought about it that way, but yeah, I mean the the exercise physiology, like the medical physiologists need better Instagram profiles, man. Like that's really what we're. I, I think what we're getting to is the the information is not available to the people who just want the, the really simple stories on the, the IG well, world. The confusing thing is I actually found out like four or five days ago, Instagram's not a platform that's meant to keep your personal blog on. It's actually supposed to be for pictures. And I just recently realized that. <laughs> and I think that's why this nuanced discussion doesn't spread like wildfire on Instagram. It's because you're supposed to post pictures 
So I, I think that's the big issue. It's just if, that, if you could figure out how to boil bioenergetics down into a simple green check, red X formula, I yes. think you would take off. If you could do that, that would blow you up. Just that you'd have a hundred K followers in like yeah. two weeks. Do this. Not that. Yes. That's the way to go about things. Or if I could figure out how to like convey in, idea of bioenergetics like a picture of me flexing really hard i think exactly would, yes yeah. yeah showing that off would. your abs and that's what bioenergetics is there you go yes yeah I, i'm with, gonna figure that out with like five sentences because that's about <laughs> as far as anybody reads if you can make them happen. rhyme it would be even better oh that that would be cool like a haiku maybe exactly yes a haiku. yes abs yes. and haiku that, is actually the formula i think for your uh your instagram yeah. exposure i think that's gonna be it that's that's my new thing now the good thing is this podcast has enough of a lead time from release that you could start doing it now yeah. and nobody can steal your model. And then you'll have blown up by that point. Well, I think the it's good, good thing that I did learn in high school is if you're ever doing a haiku and you can't think of something that's five syllables, the word refrigerator fits in perfectly. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all I really need to do is go seven syllables, the word refrigerator, and then follow it up again with seven syllables. There you I'm, go. <laughs> I'm set. I, and that might actually blend into to bioenergetics a little bit. Like that might. I think it could. I, I think, I think you good. can make that work. That might be haikus with evan pike on might actually be our our podcast title i think <laughs> i think that's gonna i think it's gonna be something <laughs> haiku is definitely in, in, uh, involved for sure i think that'll be a good way for at least one of our parents to not watch it i'm already thinking my dad's gonna see that and be like okay i'm gonna uh, so if you guys want to hit six listeners maybe that, don't do that that's not the way to do it that's okay. not the way that's good that's good to know that's we, we might we might have to come up with something else uh, what else is there anything else i was gonna ask actually so if with with that being in mind what would you say is something that people listening to this who are interested in refining their model more what do you think would be a way that people could go about learning better ways to kind of refine their own models and learn more about bioenergetics and not get on your shit list when they're saying things anymore <laughs> yeah i mean I don't care if people have a nuance to on bioenergetics. It just kind of grinds my gears when people are making public declarations as experts, if that's what's correct. But I mean, if people are interested in getting a more nuanced take on it, good place to start. Um, God, like, uh, you can pitch your own things. You can, you you pitch, this is where you pitch your own things. You pitch thing. your own things here. This is what we're trying to get you to do. Oh, yeah. man, I, I'm so to doing your that. things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like, hey, yeah, I, I have this mentorship and all these other things, but you should go talk to all of these other people and not pay me. Well, the thing that's always funny is people are like, yeah, promote yourself. And I'm like, I don't have anything to promote. Most of what I do isn't public facing. So I'm like, here's the landing page that you could go on. So a lot of times I'm like, I, I don't want you to come to me. But I mean, I do have courses. There's one through the Moxie Monitor's website called the Science and Practice of Performance Enhancement with NEARS. Um, it's non-specific to people who are actually using Moxie. It's just a really deep dive on human bioenergetics and some of the practical applications whether or not you ever plan on using the technology. So people could, of course, do their own research. They can look up uh, Shulman and Rothman's glycogen shunt models, a really good one to start. 
uh, Kevin McNally's paper called Simultaneous In Vivo Measurement of HbO2 Saturation and Phosphocreatine Kinetics. That Pulled sounds that one like off the a, top of my head. That sounds that's like a real the podcast title. Too, yeah, that's yes. going to be the podcast <laughs> title. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, those two, like, just read those two papers, read them fully, and that in and of itself will give you a really nuanced take. Um, plenty of other resources read the citations on those like anyone who wants to do the work these things are publicly available and if you don't want to do the work and you want to hear me talk for seven hours straight then get the moxie course yeah man i i honestly don't know if i could read the title of the paper you just listed if it was in front of me completely yeah i i'm still trying to figure out how to sound out a lot of the words that you just said so (laughs) i'm gonna go with the moxie course probably that's that's the direction i'm gonna go i'm gonna let you do the real work and i'm just gonna benefit from all your 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 blood sweat and tears from that perspective so if you do want people to find you what's the best way? Like if somebody's interested in coaching or somebody's interested in, you know, not just, don't just DM him and ask him questions, people. Uh, But if anybody's interested in finding your information, reading more about your stuff outside of that, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah. So probably the easiest place to find everything together would be emergentperformancelab.com. That's where like all the talks and articles and different things are housed. Um, then Instagram is honestly just where I post more, most of my long form content. Uh, and I'm going to keep doing that, even though apparently it's not a blogging platform. So those are the two easiest places to find me. What is your Instagram handle for everybody who doesn't know what it would be? Oh, it's uh, E-V-I-N underscore P-E-I-K-O-N. So nice and easy first and last name. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Evan, this has been an awesome, uh, awesome talk. I think there'll be some really good stuff for people to get out of this one for sure. Um, thank you very much for your, for your time today. Yeah. Yeah, of course, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.